Hello, and welcome back to another episode of EdChoice Chats. My name is Mike McShane, and I'm Director of National Research here at EdChoice. And I'm here to talk with two of my colleagues, Dr. Marty Lucan, Director of Fiscal Policy and Analysis, and Drew Catt, Director of State Research and Special Projects, about a new paper that we have out today and a great resource that we at EdChoice provide called the One, Two, Threes of School Choice. It's a summary of all of the existing research that we have on private school choice programs. And I'm probably going to start by kicking it off to its primary author. All of us contributed some part to this, along with our colleague, Mike Shaw, who wasn't able to join us on the line today. But I want to start by kicking it over to my friend and colleague, Marty Lucan. And maybe, Marty, if you could start by giving us just a little bit of overview. How did this paper come about? What's its primary purpose? Sure. Well, it's good to be here chatting with y'all. So basically, this is the second edition now of the one, two, threes of school choice, the 2020 or coronavirus edition, if you will. So this is basically a publication that is designed to be a resource for kind of a general audience, policymakers, researchers, stakeholders, and folks who you know work on the issue of school choice but a resource that synthesizes the research on how private school choice programs work and how they affect children, how they affect families, communities, and society. And this publication is also a continuation of an older publication that we have had called The One-One Solution, the summary of the research on school choice, which was a series of reports authored by Greg Forster. So, Marty, it looks like the paper has seven domains, so seven areas in which research has been collected. And I think this is an important point. You know, people frequently ask this question, which is like, what does the research say on school choice? As if there is sort of one answer. Generally speaking, I think they're talking about participant test scores. So do kids who participate in school choice programs have higher test scores as a result of that? But it turns out like there's actually a lot of research on school choice, not just on the test scores of kids that participate. So the seven domains in this report, obviously the first one is program participant test scores, but we also have attainment for students who participate in programs and parent satisfaction for students that participate in programs, but also the public school student test scores often thought of as the competitive effects of these programs, what happens to the children who are left behind in public schools, Civic values and practices, obviously people care a great deal about not just test scores, but how these programs might affect the civic fabric of our society. Racial and ethnic integration, obviously also something that we really care about, and the fiscal effects of these programs. So maybe just quickly, we don't have to summarize the whole thing, but going line by line through it, maybe just understanding what the sort of state of the research was before this report and what new studies came out in this last year. So maybe we'll start at the top. So when it comes to program participant test scores, you know, what was it before this year? And were there any new studies that came out this year that sort of changed the way we think about that question? Sure. So there have been some studies that came out this year on participant test scores. Nothing that I think changes that's groundbreaking or new, for example. So before this edition, we found that most studies tended to find that students participating in these programs benefited in some way on usually math or reading test scores. There were a couple of studies that found negative effects from programs, notably 
those were DC and uh, Louisiana, the two voucher programs in those places. Now those DC and Louisiana are also being studied by a larger a longitudinal evaluation. And they both concluded this year, these longitudinal evaluations. The DC program underwent a three-year evaluation and Louisiana just concluded a four-year evaluation. Um, these are conducted by different teams of researchers, one from the University of Arkansas, another from IES, from the U.S. Department of Education. So what we found in those updates, and these were very comprehensive evaluations too, so test scores weren't the only outcome and only aspect of the programs that were studied. But in Louisiana, what we found that in year three, there were these large negative effects and the gap was closing. And then in the last year, we found that the gap in the test scores increased a little bit. And then in the DC evaluation, we found that the program attained parity, basically that there were no discernible or statistically significant effects on test scores due to the voucher program in DC. That to say that when evaluating the body of this research, because these programs vary significantly in terms of how they're designed, there has to be some kind of nuance taken with evaluating these programs. So it's it's hard to say, you know, overall that, you know, choice itself is panacea or something, but uh, I think that we're finding it's effective in some places and it hasn't been as effective in some other places. And now is the story the same with the second metric? So the program participant attainment. So obviously this is looking at things like high school graduation rates, college matriculation rates, college graduation. Was there some new stuff that came out this year related to that? There were. There were some evaluations that have been conducted previously, which were updated because new data became available. Three of those was conducted by and released by the Urban Institute. Those were studies on college attainment and degree attainment outcomes in Milwaukee and Florida, Florida's tax rate scholarship program, and D.C. as well. And again, the story hasn't really changed. The story remains pretty much the same. With the Florida study, we found positive effects on college attainment largely in two-year colleges. In Milwaukee, they also detected positive effects on college attainment. They're mostly in four-year colleges. And then in D.C., the researchers weren't able to detect any effect on either college enrollment or degree attainment. So now, Drew, the next metric that's in there is parental satisfaction. So polling and surveys to measure how parents whose children participate in these programs are satisfied. This is a literature that you yourself have contributed to. So I'd be interested. So what's the sort of state of that question? Was there anything new that came out this year that sort of changed our views on it? Yes. So up until this edition and up through, you know, the midpoint or early last year, everything was extremely positive. There was one study that showed no visible effect that we were able to track down since the last edition of the one two threes and there is now one study that shows both any positive effect and any negative effect and that is my own research of arizona's private school choice programs that was released on our website that i worked on with albert chang that one's a little nuanced so when it comes to satisfaction with the school esa and tax credit scholarship parents 
were less satisfied than the charter, the fee-paying private, and the traditional public school parents. But when it came to various aspects of the school climate, things were a little more mixed with on three of the five measures that we looked at. The ESA and or tax credit scholarship parents actually scored higher than the other parent groups. So yeah, for both of those, we kind of had to label them both any positive effect and any negative effect. So so I guess all that to say that there has yet to be any research that is purely negative. And now you've also contributed or in the process of contributing to research on competitive effects. So this is that question of what happens to students who are left behind in public schools. So was there any new research on that or what's the sort of state of the literature there? Yes, there's only one real piece of new research, which I'll get into momentarily. In terms of the state of the research, it is overwhelmingly positive. There are two separate studies of Florida programs, one that showed no visible effect and one that showed a slight negative effect. However, there are overall 25 of the 27 studies that do show positive effects. In terms of the new research, there was some work by David Figlio and his team, which David Figlio has been doing competitive effects research for over a decade and a half. He's very well known in the competitive effects world in private school choice research. But he had a paper with his colleagues that came out through the National Bureau of Economic Research, or NBER, that looked at the effects of student eligibility expansion of the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program. And it really showed that as the program evolved and expanded, that the math and reading test scores were actually increased for the students that remained in the public schools. And interestingly enough, the rates of absenteeism and school suspensions for the students that remained in the public schools decreased, which that's great to see. And it'll be interesting to see if more research in the competitive effects literature kind of goes down this way of looking at more than just test scores. That's great. So now the next two things that are in the paper looking at civic values and racial and ethnic integration, it's my understanding, and either of you can correct me if I'm wrong, that there was just one new study related to the sort of civic values or sort of questions around practices, civic values, civic practices. And that was a study out of Milwaukee that looked at students who had participated in the voucher program and later criminal activity. It's my understanding that found, I believe, well, I'm actually quoting the study right here, so I know what it found. Exposure to private schooling through a voucher is associated with lower rates of criminal activity, such as committing misdemeanors, felonies, and theft. That generally adds to a positive skew of the 11 studies of civic values and practices. Six found some positive effect. Five of them found no effect, but there are no studies that have zero effects. And then it's also my understanding with respect to racial and ethnic integration, there were no new studies that came out in 2019. Marty, am I correct in saying that? Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Okay, great. So that leads us to the seventh and final look, which I can't think of a better person to talk about this than our director of fiscal policy and analysis, but that is the fiscal impact. And I think, you know, this is a particularly important question as we look at the economic devastation that is being wrought by the coronavirus. School budgets are going to be in a bind, sales tax revenue down, income tax revenue down, property tax will probably be okay, but lots of the tools that state governments have to fund such programs. So was there new research on the fiscal effects? What do we know about the fiscal impacts of private school choice? Yeah, so actually one of those papers was one that I authored on two tax credit scholarship programs in Pennsylvania. And that was actually an update of the educational income tax credit program, the EITC, 
which was an update, and then the OSTC, the Opportunity Scholarship Tax Credit Program, which was a new analysis, a fiscal analysis on that program. And basically, the analysis estimated that those programs generated fiscal benefits combined overall for both school districts and for the state that was worth between about $4,000 up to $6,800 per scholarship. Cumulatively, over the lifetime of those programs, that estimate is about $3 billion to $5 billion. And then there was also an analysis that came out recently on Arizona's for tax credit scholarship programs as well. And and that analysis also estimated a net fiscal benefit worth up to $285 million just in fiscal year 2018 alone. So there's been a lot of analysis on the fiscal effects of these programs. And, and it's not really surprising, or it shouldn't be surprising, because intuitively, if you compare how much the public K-12 system is funded with the level of funding for private school scholarship programs. You know, there's a huge gap. The scholarships are often, you know, worth about, on a per-pupil basis, worth about from a third to a half, in many cases, of the total cost, per-pupil cost for the public K-12 system. So, you know, if you look at that gap, somewhere there's savings in there. How those savings are distributed across different groups, like different taxpayers, local state taxpayers, uh, school districts. That's a really complicated question. So looking, taking a step back and looking at the big picture of this report, I was a hundred north of, I think, 150 studies are summarized here. I want to sort of conclude with two questions for, for each of you, and I'm, I'm happy to jump in on these as well. But the first question I have is, what do you think is the most common misconception about the school choice literature. So as you see it discussed in the public sphere, you hear legislators talking about it, maybe even you hear other researchers talking about it. What do you think is the biggest misconception out there? And maybe Drew, I, I would ask you first, and then Marty, you can thank Drew for buying you some time, and I'll, I'll start with you for the next question. But Drew, what do you think is that biggest misconception out there? Yeah, um, honestly, I think it's the cream skimming. That's, in my opinion, one of the biggest misconceptions that's been kind of so explain uh, that though, back what, against. When you say cream skimming. So that is that these programs take the best of the best students into the private schools and leave the quote unquote lower performing students in the public schools. So it's great to show with the competitive effects literature to show that the students that do stay in the public schools actually improve test scores overall. But really, there's been some research focusing, at least here in Indiana, showing that, well, actually, the students that are participating in the program in my fair state are typically lower income and lower performing when they're entering the program. There's some more research coming out in, for other programs as well, showing that, yes, these aren't the uh, necessarily the best and brightest students on average that are participating in these programs. So I, I definitely think that's one misconception. So yes, thank you, Drew. So Marty, what, what do you see as the, the biggest misconception? Is it the cream skimming? Is it something else? What do you think? I think that there's a lot of misconceptions out there. The One of the biggest ones that I, I see, and certainly in my line of work, is the fiscal question. The argument that these programs somehow drain 
resources from district schools. It's true that districts lose revenue when students leave for any reason, though. But it's also true that when enrollment changes, whether it goes up or down, the costs go up or down as well. And so when enrollment declines, the cost for a school will go down as well. Now, it's a little nuanced to what extent that is. If you're talking about a couple students leaving you know, a school or a classroom, I mean, there's only so much that a school could do to adjust to that. But that's well within the margin of enrollment fluctuation for schools that they deal with that type of change on a regular basis. When you lose a lot of students, then you will have more opportunities to reduce costs as well. In addition to that, when students leave, states also are usually no longer obligated to provide state aid to those districts too. So states, they fund the private choice program, but at the same time, there's usually an offset of funding when students leave districts. And that usually results in a net fiscal benefit because you usually have these huge gaps in funding the private school choice program and public K-12 system. Yeah, and uh, this is Drew again. I thought of another thing that it's not necessarily a misconception of the research. It's just a misconception of these programs and private schools in general. And that is that these are dollars going to, quote unquote, unregulated schools. I'd like to dive back into my first Ed Choice report, public rules on private schools, showing that private schools in general are already very regulated. And in fact, in some of these programs, such as like Indiana, the schools that are participating in the program are actually more regulated than the public district schools. So that's less of a misconception of the research and just a, uh, I would say, a misconception of private schools in general, especially private schools participating in these programs. I think those are two great points. And you actually, you stole even what I was going to say. So my final question, summing this up, maybe to, a, let's say, to our educated lay reader, so a smart person who maybe it doesn't know this this research or maybe even school choices as well as people who spend their whole day working in this. If you wanted to summarize like one key takeaway, like after all of the work that, that you all have put into this report, I guess I put a little bit of work in, but not nearly as much as you all did. What like one takeaway that you hope that people could walk away from this and knowing something to be true? So, uh, Marty, I'll start with you. And so this doesn't have to be necessarily like the one thing, but just one thing that you hope people take away from this report. Sure. For me, that would be that when you look at the whole body of research, of rigorous research, that these programs in general, the studies tend to be skewed towards the positive overall. But I think it's also important to realize that uh, no two programs, no two choice programs are created equally, and design really matters, right? So it's important when evaluating the body of research to also consider how these programs are designed and what the effects of different parameters of these programs can have on students. Drew, your one takeaway? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of focus a little bit on the sat parent satisfaction research and that uh, to borrow an old adage, you can satisfy some of the people all the time or all the people some of the time, except when it comes to schooling. And that is you are not going to find a single school that every single person in their 
is completely satisfied with. Everyone's going to have an issue with everything. Even the negative research, there are students that perform positively. We're just looking at what is negative on average or no visible effect on average. With every single one of these programs, regardless of the research finding, there are multiple students for which these are kind of a lifeline and for, I guess, for whom without these programs, they would, in the eyes of themselves and their parents, be suffering. So it's great that these programs do exist to provide uh, an opportunity and a choice. Well, Marty Lucan, Director of Fiscal Policy and Analysis, Drew Cat, Director of State Research and Special Projects, thanks so much for sharing your insights about this report. Friends, if this conversation has piqued your interest, as I hope it would, you can order your own copy of this report. Head over to www.edchoice.org slash order one, two, threes. That's order the number one, the number two, the number three, and then an S after that. Folks, as always, please make sure to subscribe. Go to your favorite podcast sending service. However you get your podcast, make sure to subscribe. Give us some reviews, preferably good ones, but I don't know. Just follow your heart. Go with what you feel. Tell us uh, tell us if we can do any better. And always make sure, head to our website, www.edchoice.org. You can sign up for our email list where you can get awesome content like this report, but also keep abreast with school choice developments all across the country. I'm Mike McShane, Director of National Research, and it's been great spending time with you and having another EdChoice chat.